We're so glad that you've tuned into our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Joel Hudson. I'm the worship pastor here at our Rolling Hills Nashville campus. We're in our series, A Beautiful Life, where we've been walking through the book of 1 John. And as we finish out the third chapter of 1 John, we'll be continuing to explore and learn about the theme of legacy and what that means for you and me. And now, here's Pastor Jason. Well, have you ever tried something new and just really got in over your head? You, uh, you kind of started dabbling in something and then you realize I'm out in the deep end of the pool and I really don't know how to swim. And I think of a number of instances and specific moments in my life and maybe some things that you can relate to that would certainly fall under that category of trying something new or trying to, seeking to learn something new and realizing that you're in over your head. Maybe some of you have had a moment where you decided maybe our financial house isn't in as much order as we want it to be. And so you reach out to a financial planner or you read an article or something of that nature, and they tell you something like this, by age 35, you should have two years of salary in savings, and you just stop paying attention because you think to yourself, that sounds awesome, but that may not be where we are right now. That's kind of at another level, and I'm not quite there yet. Maybe I made some financial mistakes, or maybe you have a student loan debt, and you're kind of, kind of coming under the weight of that, and you're saying, I know that that's good advice, but it just seems unattainable to me right now in this season of life. Or how about this? You're making healthier choices. Maybe it's workout choices or exercise or whatever the case might be. This kind of came to, came to realization with me um, a couple months ago. I'm in a small group here with a group of guys, and, and one of the guys in the group decided that for an entire month, we were going to do 200 push-ups every day which is approximately 190 more push-ups than I have ever done in the course of a day. And so I said, I'm here for the prayer support and moral support. So you guys let me know. I'm praying for you as you do that. Whenever you do the two push-up-a-day challenge, you just let me know. And I will be first to sign up. Or how about moms? Happy Mother's Day to all of you moms in the room and grandmas in the room. When it comes to parenting, Sometimes you want to try something new, or you want to grow, or you want to take initiative, or you want to go to the next level in terms of parenting, and then you realize, yeah, people have a social media impression of parenting that just doesn't match up with how I live. I've been pursuing that, but what I realize is that they have curated their life in a way to show us the best of the best, because sometimes, moms, this is what you think parenting looks like. It's just awesome, isn't it? I mean, this little kid... This mom is working from home during the quarantine, and this little boy is just, I mean, he is just contributing to her cause. He's helping her with scheduling. You know, he's not, um, he's holding his bear. Everything is really nice and proper, and uh, he's not crying at all. She's on the phone, you know, which babies never cry when you're taking a phone call. Uh, Or how about this one? You have this image sometimes of parenting. I love this one. It's very sweet, but I mean, they're using real glasses, you know, real teacups, you know, which is major no-no. And so everybody's happy. Nobody is, you know, nobody is having any issues. And sometimes we strive for this and we say, this is what I want. But in reality, this is sometimes what parenting looks like. This is one of my favorites. Life with a toddler summed up in one image, you know, seven apples with one bite taken out of each because who wants to eat an entire apple when I can take one bite of each of the seven apples or this one also? Uh, If I ever go missing, follow my kids. They can find me wherever I am. You know, I cannot hide. You can't ever get, it seems like you can't ever get away. They can find you whatever place you are in the house. And sometimes you begin to feel bad about yourself. And sometimes, moms, I know that you get overwhelmed because you start comparing yourself to everyone else who seems to maybe have it more together than you may have it together. 
And then you enter church today and you were handed a worship guide. And on top of that worship guide is the sermon series title, A Beautiful Life. And you're thinking to yourself, yeah, uh, I wouldn't go to the church that has a sermon series called A Messy Life. Or a life that's barely being held together. Or a barely getting by life. And yet in the midst of all of that, you want more. And you want to experience more. But if your life is like mine, I tend to overcomplicate things. And I tend to sometimes overcomplicate things from time to time. And so this morning, what I want to do is to continue this series called The Beautiful Life. But I want to give us a big idea. A big idea that I think will help us. And I know it's certainly helping me as I seek to attain this life that God has called me to live. And I want you to lean into this. This is the big idea of where we're going today. Because it's what this text is about in 1 John chapter 3. You're never going to attain and live the beautiful life if you don't grow in God's love. Period. It's the big idea. You will not attain the beautiful life that God has for you if you don't grow in God's love. What I tend to do is complicate things. I tend to make it more about being the best or doing that or winning that award or having an image or comparing and trying to keep up with everyone else, whatever the case might be. But God's love and growing in God's love is central. It's key. Nothing is more important to us in growing and understanding the beautiful life that he has called us to live than growing in God's love. And so specifically what I'm going to do is share with you five truths, five truths out of this book, 1 John chapter 3, that will show us the importance of growing in God's love and how that leads to the life that he has called us to lead. So if you want to turn to 1 John chapter 3, if you have a Bible, it's all the way over near the end of the New Testament. You can hop on your mobile device. And type in 1 John chapter 3. You're going to see a lot of those words printed there for you in your worship guide as well. But we're specifically going to be looking at verses 11 through 24. But before we do that, let's pray together. Lord, thank you for meeting us here in this place. I'm so thankful for a powerful time of worship. Thank you for the transformation that we've already seen happen in this place this morning. And thank you for the transformation that you want to do in our life today. I'm so grateful, God, for who you are. And we're thankful for this opportunity to be together. And it's in the powerful name of Christ that we pray and ask all of these things. Amen and amen. Let's start in verse 11, chapter 3 of 1 John. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Well, happy Mother's Day. Nothing says happy Mother's Day like a brother murdering someone. Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Verse 13, do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death, and anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we have set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask, because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him, and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. 
And so 1 John is, if you're new with us today, it is a first part of a three-part letter that John wrote to the, he wrote to the churches, the early churches. It was to be circulated around, and this letter was to address a lot of things. One of the things that it was addressing was for them to turn from their life of sin. If, the, if you say and claim that Jesus has really changed your life, then you should turn and walk from that. Do you have to be perfect? No, none of us are perfect, but you strive for holiness, and you strive to be more and more like Jesus. It was a big issue in the early church. And John was saying, I want you to do better. John was also saying that I want you to flee from the darkness. I want you to understand if what is happening in your life is from God or if it's from the enemy. And if it's from the enemy, then run from that. He doesn't want you to be led astray. And then this morning you're seeing in verses 11 through 24 that John's talking about what it means to grow in love and how we are to fulfill the the love and those commands that God has for us. But in verse 11, you see that he says, for this is the message you heard from the beginning We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. So he says, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. See, what that means is that there was never a time that we didn't need this message. There was never a time that love or the lack thereof wasn't going to manifest itself in some negative way. In fact, he says, I don't want you to be like Cain. And Cain is the negative example that is used here. He said, I don't want you to be like Cain. And so what is that in reference to? That is in reference to the literal beginning. (laughs) You've heard this from the beginning. It's the literal beginning. Go back to Genesis chapter 4, all the way over at the front of your Bible. And listen what happens here. Between Cain and Abel, Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. And she said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. And later she gave birth to his brother Abel. And now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. And in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he didn't look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. And then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So see, from the very beginning, conflict, bitterness, envy, jealousy, and ultimately a lack of love led to murder. It led to Cain taking out his brother Abel, which serves as a great reminder for us. And you see this here on your notes. It's the first point for today. If you want to follow along and kind of hang on to these five truths throughout the course of the week, a lack of love has caused problems from the beginning. A lack of love has caused problems from the very beginning. It's why John says you've heard it from the beginning. You've had problems from the beginning. A lack of love not only caused problems back then, a lack of love causes problems today. And a lack of love is going to cause problems tomorrow. A lack of love is going to stunt your relationships. A lack of love will be a barrier in between you and what it is that God is asking you to do. A lack of love is a root cause, in fact, for most of the conflict that we experience. 
And so to understand that, you've got to go back and look at what love really is. I mean, what is love? What is it that God is talking about here through his word? Go back to 1 Corinthians 13. This is the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, 4, 5, and 6. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. So what is at the root of most of the conflict that you and I experience? It's based in impatience. It's based in unkind words. It's based in me thinking more of myself than I think of you. It's based in me wanting something for myself that I don't want for you. It's based in me rejoicing when you go through a difficult season. To even say that out loud sounds terrible, doesn't it? But how sometimes in your life you rejoice when somebody else just doesn't do as well as you do, it's not loving. It's, it's based in uh, the fact that sometimes I'm easily angered. It's based in the fact that maybe I don't bring honor to other people. It's based in the fact that I may have pride or that I may boast or that I might be more arrogant instead of rejoicing in the truth. See, that's at the root of a lot of the problems that you and I face. It's the root of a lot of conflict that you endure is the fact that there is a lack of love. Let me give you an example. Let's say tomorrow morning that you're headed to work. And you know that you have to get out of your house at 6.30 to make it to your office on time. But you don't have the coffee brewed, and so who's going to leave their house without coffee? And so you just, you know, take one for the team, and you decide to leave at 6.45. You're already 15 minutes behind schedule. And then you get out here on Nolensville Road, and there is some really sweet soul. Traffic is bumper to bumper. But there is some really sweet soul. She's driving a Pontiac Grand Prix, and she's letting everybody out. She's letting the traffic out at Mama's Java, you know, which is a terrible place to make a left or right turn. You're at Pettus Road. She's letting people out. Kid Road, you're letting people out. And you're so close to the horn because you're like, lady, I'm late. But you realize she's being really nice. And so you just quote a Bible verse and you keep going. And then you get to work and you're late. You're now 30 minutes late and you're 10 minutes late for a meeting. And so you get a stern talking to from your boss. Something was decided, and you weren't at the table to make that decision. And then that has set the trajectory of your day, and your day is just terrible throughout the rest of the day. And then you have the audacity to think it was everybody else's problem. Because what happened? You left late on your own free will. You had no margin in your life, so you were frustrated with someone else showing kindness. And then you have the audacity to make everything else in the course of the day all about Numero uno, me, myself, and I. And it's in that moment that you realize, yeah, I was impatient. Yeah, I was angry. Yeah, I wanted what I want. Oh, God's word is telling me that love is patient. Love is kind. Love isn't easily angered. And so if I don't have that love, what's going to ensue in my life? Problems. A lack of love is going to lead to problems. It makes sense as to why a lack of love is going to be such a barricade. Because in those moments, when you're stuck out here in traffic on Nolensville Road, love is the last thing on your mind. You're thinking, this is inconveniencing me. And I want something better. John is saying, though, there's a better way. There's something else that you should strive for. Look at verse 13. Do not be surprised then, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death, and anyone who hates a brother or a sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. 
So the first point was that a lack of love causes problems from the beginning. And the second point needs a big disclaimer. It's a big disclaimer. If you want to grow in that life of love, you've got to realize this, that a pursuit of Christ-centered love is going to be considered foolishness to the world. It just is. A pursuit of Christ-centered love is considered foolishness to the world. Acting like Jesus will definitely get you some strange looks in this day and age. Choosing to allow Jesus to be the one that sets your agenda will get you some strange looks. The world looks at it foolishly. I love this text in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. Look at this. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. See, the message of the cross is foolishness to the world who is perishing, but to those of us who are experiencing its power, its goodness, it's not something that we would ever say is foolish. It's the power of the gospel. It's the message of the cross, that God sent his one and only son so that we could have life. And Jesus took up on that cross, and he hung on that cross, and his blood was shed, and that blood was shed for you, and that blood was shed for me. And three days later, they take him off the cross. They put him in the tomb because they think he is dead. And three days later, he burst forth from that tomb to say, I have conquered death once and for all, and I can conquer anything in your life. You trust me. That message is foolish to those that do not believe it quite yet. That message is not foolish to Krista, who we baptized a few minutes ago. That message is not foolish to those of you who have experienced that goodness, because what you realize is, no, it's the power of God. And that God has met me and that God loved me so much that he made a way so that I could be made whole. But you got to think about what Jesus is asking you to do. And think about what John is preparing the church for. And you realize that, yeah, what he's preparing us for does sometimes seem a little bit foolish. Because what John is saying that you should do is that when someone hits you, you should turn the other cheek. <laughs> he's saying that when someone hurts you, you should forgive them. John is saying, you should put other people and their needs above your own needs. And John is saying, you should give of your limited time. You should give of your hard-earned resources to God, that you should invest in things that are bigger than you, things that will outlive you. Use your life in a really significant, good, holy way. See, the world laughs at that. The world laughs at that, but you know what? Those of us who've experienced it have, we have peace, and we have joy. And my answer to that is, if the world's going to laugh at that, just let them laugh. Just let them laugh. It's okay, guys, I don't want to leave you out of this equation today. I know it's Mother's Day, and all of you have thought, probably, he's probably only going to talk to the women today. Guys, I don't want to leave you out of the equation. This is relevant for all of us. Guys, I want you to set godly priorities in your life. And by setting godly priorities in your life of God first, and your spouse second, and your kids third, and career way down here is fourth. If you set that priority, then you will live a life that will be foolish from the world's standards, but right in God's eyes. For you single guys in the room, single ladies in the room, I want you to live with integrity. And some of you are wondering right now is, should I keep living with integrity? Does it really matter? I promise you it matters. The world looks at you making a decision based on integrity, and they laugh at you. And they say, how old-fashioned of you. And you say, no, I have peace, and I have joy, because that kind of life matters. 
See, John is saying the righteous understand this. This is what the people who are righteous, they get, and that's what he wants the church to understand, which leads to this third point about love. A definition of love not anchored in Christ, it will always fall short. A definition of love that's not anchored in Christ will always fall short. We've already said that a lack of love caused problems from the beginning. And we said that a pursuit of Christ-centered love is considered foolishness to the world. So then a definition of love that's not anchored in Christ will always fall short. Back to verse 16. This is how we know what love is. That Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. This is how we know what love is. The definition of love, this is how we truly know what it is, is that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And what are we to do? We are to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters, to put other people first. Love is a word that gets thrown around a lot. And I think sometimes we don't even realize what we're saying. I commonly will say, I love tacos, which I do. Or you'll say, I love the Titans. Or I'll say, I love Kentucky basketball, which this year was something that I didn't proclaim very loudly because it was a bad year. Or you love certain issues or you love certain causes or whatever the case might be. And there's nothing wrong with using that word. But sometimes we use the word and what we're actually saying is not about the object, but we're saying something about ourselves. And we're saying, I love that. And what God is trying to get us to understand is that the definition of true love is anchored in Christ. It's not really anchored in me. It's not anchored in my preferences. It's not anchored in what I want. Because love is actually based on sacrifice. And love is based on Jesus laying down his life and you following suit. Me following suit in that. That's why we should take Philippians chapter 2 as a kind of stake in the ground passage of Scripture. That Jesus didn't consider equality with God as something to be used for his advantage, so he made himself nothing. And he took on the very nature of a servant, and he humbled himself and became obedient to death, death on a cross. And at the beginning of Philippians 2, it says that you and I should follow Jesus' example. So love is rooted in sacrifice, and it's rooted in putting other people before myself. So what are we to strive for? He's, he's, he's making it really clear for us. He's saying, this is what I actually want you to strive for. Look at 17 and 18. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. You see this on your page there, but a life of love is to be lived out in word and deed. A life of love is to be lived out in word and deed because that definition of love, it's anchored in Christ. If it's not anchored in Christ, that definition always falls short. So that life of love is to be lived out in word and deed. Have you noticed that acts of love are far superior than words? Because it's easy sometimes for me to say something, but will I actually follow through with what I'm doing is an entirely different scenario. Now, please do not leave church today and say that the pastor did not say that words matter because words matter hugely, significantly. And if people that are important to you don't hear that you love them, that will be weight and baggage that they carry for the rest of their life. So you need to say it. Guys, you need to be telling your kids that you love them. You need to be telling your spouse that you love her. You need to be telling the people in your life that are important to you that you love them. I think you should be telling your close friends that you love them, that the ends of conversations have not just a, you know, a kind of the conversation trails off, but it ends with, I love you. Now, I don't know if you even want to start telling strangers you love them. You might get strange looks, but if you do and you want to go for it, go for it. But 
People need to hear those words. But it's easy for me to say something and not actually mean it or to act up on it. But I hope and pray that you'll act upon it, that you'll find ways to start showing that love, the love of Christ, to people that you come in contact with. We have some incredible opportunities coming up here in the life of our church, May the 30th. is a Sunday that we have committed to having an event called The Church Has Left the Building, where we're going to have you guys out serving in the community and doing a part, doing your part to bring hope and life and service to folks in our community and people in our community, some of which you will never meet or never know this side of heaven, the way that God used your hands and your heart and your prayers to make a difference in the life of someone else. But living that beautiful life, it starts with not just words, but deeds, not just statements, but actions and actually showing it that follows through with that. And then look what John ends with. This is kind of how he concludes this little portion about living this life in verse 23 and 24. This is his command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. I want to close today with the fifth point, that a command to love is not just a good suggestion. A command to love is not just a good suggestion. See, that life of love is to be lived in word and deed. But don't miss that a command to love is not just a good suggestion. John says it three specific times. This is his command. Jesus Christ command to love one another as he commanded. And then verse 24, the one who keeps God's commands. See, a command to live a life of love and to move towards a life of love, it's not just a good suggestion. It's a command. I think about the Great Commission in Matthew 28, where Jesus commissions us and tells us to go into all nations, baptizing them and proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ to all of the world. That is not called the great suggestion. It's called the great commission, that we're not exempt from that. That's not something that God called you to, but didn't call me to. How about the Ten Commandments? Those are really different if we call them the Ten Suggestions. The Ten Suggestions don't lie unless it's somebody you don't really like and you can lie to them. Or don't steal unless you have really nice stuff. And so I'm not going to steal from her because she doesn't have anything nice. But I'm going to steal from you because you have something real nice that I like. If it's a suggestion, then the truth erodes because the reality is it's a command. How about the greatest commands that Jesus gave us? What were those greatest commands? To love God and to love other people. How about if I just kind of kept those in the greatest suggestion category? Sure, I'll love people as long as they love me in return. Or I'll love people that are really easy to love. Or I will love people that are fully drama-free. Good luck finding those folks. So those aren't suggested principles. It's great commands. And so that command to love is not just a suggestion, but it's something that God expects us to do and that we would have an expected sense of living for that. I believe the church would look a lot different if we took God's commands more serious and didn't just put them in the suggestion category. I believe that your life would look a lot different if you said, you know what, I'm not just going to live as these are good ideas, but that these are things that God commanded me to do. I believe your families would look different. I think your marriages would look radically different. If you said, you know what, I'm actually going to follow the principles that God has and not seek to just work them in whenever it's convenient or whenever it's 
um, not too much of an imposition in my life. On this Mother's Day, I'm very thankful, very, very thankful. Every day, but especially today, I'm very, very thankful to have in my life a line of very strong, faithful women, faithful moms, and faithful grandmothers, and great-grandmothers. I'm so thankful that I come from a line of very strong, passionate, faithful women of God who says, who, who make statements and say, you know what, I don't care how foolish I may look in the world's eyes. I'm going to follow what it is that God is asking me to do. I think about my mom specifically. My mom's name is Sheila. And my mom prayed for me every day before I was born. And she has continued to pray for me every day of my life. How do I know that? Because she tells me that she does. And she texts me and tells me that. And the font is huge and the punctuation is terrible. (laughs) And she's tried the meme thing every so often and that didn't work out so well. But my mom pointed me to truth. In fact, my mom laid out nice clothes every Saturday night. She laid out church clothes for us on Saturday night to be ready for Sunday. And I now know why she did that. A, I think it was getting ahead of the game. But I also think that she wanted to eliminate all question on Saturday night where we would be on Sunday. So if I would have had the audacity on Sunday morning to be like, oh, are we going to the lake today? No, I've already got those khakis pressed. We're going to church today. It was a priority. And it was not um, ever in question what my life would look like. I think about the sacrifices that my mom made for me. Both my mom and my dad have, have been in, in the public sector and the public eye for some most of their adult life with careers and ministry and things of that nature. And in that line of work, sometimes lies get hurled at you and anger gets thrown towards you or insults come towards you. And I watched time after time after time. My mom would turn the other cheek and wouldn't lash out and anger, wouldn't lash out with anything but true God-honoring love. And I stand here today really thankful for that sacrifice and her commitment. I think about my grandmother, who is 88, soon to be 89, and uh, her name is Geraldine, and we affectionately refer to her as Nanny. And Nanny is a gifted teacher and preacher of God's Word, and some of the first sermons that I ever heard were from my grandmother, And she has a biblical knowledge that is so deep and is so rich, but it's not just in word. It's in deed. There is nobody that dies in our community that my grandmother does not take a ham and deviled eggs to. And she somehow, I mean, she knows about it before anybody knows about it. And she doesn't even drive. And somehow a 10-pound ham was cooked and delivered before we ever knew that there was a situation because it was a love and deed. I think about my great-grandmother, who I've shared some stories with you before about my great-grandmother. Her name was Ada. And Grandma Ada, she raised kids in the midst of a depression. She had no electricity. She had no running water. She had no access to health care, medical care. In fact, she lost one of her seven children to illness at a young age, and she would proceed to tell us as kids that every time one of her kids was sick, she would pick them up and she would hold them close to her heart, and she would pray for God to heal them, and she said he would heal them every time was a faith that was so deep, and it was a faith that was so rich. 
And I think about her, and I think about my grandma, and I think about my mom. And you know what I'm thankful for this morning? I'm thankful that they didn't care about looking smart in the world's eyes. I really am. I'm thankful that the last of their concerns was what the world thinks about me. And they weren't concerned about looking foolish in the world's eyes because they were solidly in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And they were concerned with loving more than they were hate. Their life was anchored in Christ. They served in word and deed. They lived out these commands not as just suggestions, but as serious commands. And you know what that makes me want to do, friends? It makes me want to live a different life. It makes me want to take that example and to follow suit with that. It makes me not want to live business as usual, and I hope that it does you as well. But I'm also well aware that for some of you, that's not your story. And if you were to tell me your story from childhood, it could not be more different than what I just mapped out for you. And you know what? That's A-OK. Because you know what the beautiful thing is? The beautiful thing is the story starts now. The legacy starts now. The difference is now. And the difference is moving forward. And so maybe you're here and you're saying, oh, yeah, that's great, Pastor Jason. I'm glad that you had such a charmed upbringing. (laughs) Yeah, right. I'm glad that everything came up roses like you. Mm, Yeah, not so much. I'm glad that you never struggled with anything. Mm, Yeah, no. But the reality is those building blocks that you make a commitment right now, those are building blocks that change your forever and they change the generations coming behind you forever as well. And so I pray that you would write an amazing story, that you would live this beautiful life, that you would say, I don't want these to just be suggestions, but I want to follow the commands. I want my definition of love to be anchored squarely in Jesus Christ, and I don't want to just be somebody who plays church or who goes through the motions, but I want to love in word, and I want to love in deed, and I want to love in action, and I believe that the world is going to stop and take note and that God is going to do something that can only be described by him. Let's strive for that today. Let's push towards that today. In fact, bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. I want us to reflect upon this. The band's going to come forth. And just in this quiet moment of reflection, maybe there's something that God's asking you to do. Maybe your story does not... um, have um, any of the moments that the stories that I just shared did, and you're wondering, how, how can you still use my life? Know that he wants to. Or maybe you're just in the midst of a really difficult season, and you're wondering how God could ever use that season. He wants to. Or maybe you're here, and the weight of the world is just on your shoulders, and you would kind of say, I'm just getting by. God wants more for you. You will never find and fulfill and attain that beautiful life that he has for you without growing in love. So I pray that each and every one of us would grow in that today. In fact, let's pray to that end. God, show us what it means to love well today. Show us what it means to experience your mercy and your love. I thank you for our stories. I thank you for the high points, and I thank you for the low points. And regardless of what brought us to this point where we are today, God, you have used every instance and every scenario and every moment to make us more and more like you. So I pray that we would listen to that, that we would love, that we would grow, that we would serve, that we would live with gratitude and and seek to make a difference with all the days that we have left. Thank you, God, for meeting us here. Thank you for what you want to do 
and what you're going to do in our lives as we seek to live this beautiful life you've called us to live. And it's in the powerful name of Christ that we pray and ask all these things. Amen. Thanks for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, where you can find great podcasts like Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, Rolling Hills Women's As You Go Podcast, and more. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook to stay up to date on what's happening and ways that you can connect. We're thankful for you.